back on the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Justin and Ailish. Final hour on your Tuesday morning. Let's shift to some hoops because it's a big week in the NBA. Maybe the Raptors will make us happy with some moves, with some decisiveness. But we've got our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It's Pat Garrity, former NBA forward, front office executive, and current stadium NBA front office analyst. How's it going this morning? I'm great. Thanks for having me. We are just pleased to start talking about some basketball because we've been talking about the Blue Jays all morning. We need to shift to the Toronto Raptors, but it's a big week ahead with the NBA draft. And uh, I just wonder the overall excitement around the the opportunity to see maybe the next biggest prospect since blank join the league. <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, I guess LeBron is the safe one to go to when you're comparing um, you know, the, the anticipation and excitement for a draft prospect. Uh, I, I think that, and I don't know if he'll play a lot in summer league, but leading up to the regular season, it's going to be so fun to watch him and his development and how he handles all the pressure and, and eyes on him right now. And it's a tall task because he's right now internationally known. It's it just the anticipation around him is something that I, I really can't remember. I mean, we, we didn't have the coverage of the NBA when LeBron entered the draft in 2003. So watching Victor Weminyama develop and, uh, you know, I, I think that he has the potential and I don't know, I haven't gone back and looked at this. If we've ever had an all defensive team player make that team as a rookie, but I, I think that he has the potential to do that. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to take, I think a little bit of while on the offensive and for him to figure out um, wh- where he's best utilized and, and how best to play. But I think immediately he comes in and becomes a top defensive player in the NBA. Wow. Uh, and that's saying something because you know, what we've been seeing or what we know most about Wemby is that immense offensive skill set. So very, very exciting times for the NBA. Very exciting for the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, how do you expect them to conduct themselves this offseason in an effort to insulate this young star? Yeah, I, I think that they're not going to go out and try to add veterans where they're jumping a level to win right away. They have a bunch of draft picks in the future from um, from the trade with Atlanta uh, involving DeJounte Murray. So what, what I expect them to do is, is try to, to pair with them, number one, uh, you know, another big that can kind of anchor things inside, allow allow Victor to play a little bit more on the perimeter, um, and that does, it's not to say that he won't play some center. I think that long-term, that's probably what he's going to be able to do. Um, but then just to, to fill out the roster with depth and veterans that they know are, you know, kind of the prototypical good mentors and, and good veterans and, and really try to build around he, Devin Vassell, Jeremy Sohan, Keldon Johnson, um, those kind of guys. And then whoever, whoever they're going to be picking up in the next couple of years in the draft. So we know that Victor Wembanyama obviously will be the first overall pick. We've known that for a while, but I feel like number two seems still still be up in the air. Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson. Um, I wonder which way you think that the teams might be leaning uh, because that number three pick also is a, it, it seems to be maybe in play. And I wonder what what you depend on who might go second to see how that one goes as well. Yeah, that, it's been an interesting one to watch because if you look back a couple weeks ago. It seemed like Scoot had the edge there. And just in the last couple of days, um, you know, you look across all the major sites that cover these in the draft analyst, and it seems like 
Brandon Miller at two to Charlotte is is the way that uh, the draft is going to go. And and look, if you're picking three, it's almost like the safest place to be. And if you're not going to get number one, because you just take whoever's there, and and the and, and the pressure's off you from a front office standpoint. But in this case, it's not really the case because we're talking about Joe Cronin and the Portland Trailblazers having to navigate what to do in Portland, where you have this all-NBA player, you have a franchise cornerstone in Dame Lillard, and their team just isn't good enough to win. And no matter how good um, Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson are in their rookie year, they're probably not going to drive winning to the extent that Dame Lillard wants. And and I think that that's why you're seeing their entertaining conversations and, and talking about moving, moving the pick. Um, I have a hard time seeing them do that. It's, <laughs> but both of those prospects, I think, are guys that you look down the road and you'd be really happy to have as, as key parts of your team. Um, so it would surprise me in the end if they moved the pick, but you never know. It's a fascinating scenario because you could move Dame or move the pick, and those are complete opposite ends in terms of direction. Uh, which do you think is more? I mean, you said you don't expect them to move the pick, but do you expect them to move Dame? Like, are they going to be decisive here with such a big spot and such a like critical point in the draft when things can really flip on its head? Do you expect Portland to make a big move or just kind of do the safe thing and keep both? Yeah, the, the, it's funny because the worst thing you can do, uh, and, and everybody likes optionality, but to me in this situation, the worst thing you can do is try to have it both ways. What, what I expect that they're going to do is they're going to make the pick. Um, I, I think that they're going to try to go out in free agency and, and try to build a, at least a little bit uh, you know, of a team, whether that's bringing back Jeremy Grant or trying to engineer – um, you know, some improvements on the roster. And then if that's not able to happen, I think you're looking probably more at a trade deadline situation where they make the decision, if, if that is the decision to blow it up. So the Toronto Raptors historically keep things pretty close to the vest. Uh, we don't really know what they're thinking. That leads to some interesting reactions when they make picks historically over the years. Uh, but they're selecting pretty high uh, this year at number 13. Do you have any inkling of where they might be headed, what they might be what might be thinking? Uh, I mean, we can do a little direction of the, like their current roster uh, a little bit later. But in terms of actually making a selection, assuming they do so at 13, what type of player do you think they'll be coveting? Well, you're, you're asking the guy right now at the trade deadline who thought that they were going to trade Gary Trent Jr. and Fred Van Vliet and that there was no question about that happening. And I was alone. completely wrong on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so really, you know, it's a tough one. I don't know. I, I think that there's, you know, and even though people have said, ah, you know, the second half of the lottery is, is weak in the strap, I think that there's some pretty interesting players for them. I don't think someone like Taylor Hendricks falls that far that's he certainly seems like a Majai Ujiri type of player um, but but I think that you do have some interesting options whether it's you know you're going for a more polished ready score in Kobe Bufkin or potentially you know a, a bigger more powerful wing in Keontae George I think that those are two interesting options right there um, you know Jet Howard another one. And then I, I think that probably maybe more likely is a guy like Bilal Kulabi, who's Victor Wembanyama's teammate mm-hmm. um, in France, young player. He's, he's kind of skyrocketed up, up mocks in the last, um, in the last couple of weeks. So if he's there at 14, I don't think that that would be, that would be a surprising pick either. 
Yeah, that's actually a name we had circled down as well. We talked to Bobby Webster um, at the end of last week, and he said, yeah, you might expect a Raptors-like pick with our pick, and it seems like that that is kind of the fit that we're hearing. Um, we'll see if the Raptors, you know, make a make a move. I know that third overall pick is in play. Um, I don't know if, if you've ever gone down into the trade bait things that people put in like the, the little engine where you put one person in, one person in. How do you make a, a trade for number three? But uh, do you think the Raptors would have the, I don't know, the guts to really put it all on the line and trade a Siakam or trade an OG to make that massive move up the draft lottery? Because uh, the future with Scotty Barnes could be really bright, but do you need to have some more youth on your roster as well? Does that number three pick have any interest do you think with the way the Raptors could move I I don't know if I think the package of OG and 14 I think that's that's a that's an attractive package I just don't I don't know if that gets you up to number number three Mm -hmm. Um, I I think if I think to do that you would have to throw in probably future picks and it just doesn't seem like that's kind of the style of of what that front office has done to me that's always been a front office where they're able to identify and develop talent and not necessarily have to draft them in the top three um so it's it's a possibility um but i i I don't know i don't don't see that happening Mm -hmm. uh not unlike most drafts nowadays there are a lot of canadians to watch out for uh leonard miller is the top rated uh at least in most most mock drafts canadian uh that's available for selection tell us a little bit about leonard miller uh and the sort of like the collection of canadian talents who will be available for teams on draft night well yeah leonard miller is an interesting guy because he he's a guy that hasn't played a lot of basketball in, in one place at, at any particular time. He, he moved around a little bit. It seems like he was at a different school every year, played with the G league ignite this year. And, and the G league ignite is a become a program for young players that I think really does a good job uh, of developing them. And, and they work a lot. They're, they're coached really well with, with some of the coaches in that organization, um, but but he's a guy that I, I think has a ton of potential upside when you talk to his ability to cover ground and move, um, but just hasn't played a lot of basketball. So uh, you know, in the in the late teens or early twenties, he could be a good developmental project. And you know, I, I think more broadly, you know, I'll, I'll just say this: I think you know, Canada as as far as top prospects. Um, you know, for you know, for the population that it has, is is as good as any place in the world in in developing basketball players and putting out prospects that have a chance to play in the NBA. It's, it's been fun to watch. We're speaking with Pat Garrity, former NBA forward, front office exec, and current stadium NBA front office analyst. Okay, so we already saw some major transactions the offseason. Um, Phoenix Suns, Green to ship Chris Paul, another asset for three-time All-Star Bradley Beal. So uh, this one, I think, uh, is an interesting one to unpack. Like, How much better do you think the Suns are with Beal? And if there will be other you know, moves moving forward to, to kind of continue to bolster their lineup? Yeah, so I, I think that when you look at just the comparison of, of with Chris Paul versus with Bradley Beal, mm-hmm. um, and, and both of those guys have missed time with injuries throughout the years, uh, I, I think they're at least as good and probably better. Um, I think that the question comes in, obviously, you know, with, with the depth. And offense wasn't really what they, were, what they needed in the playoffs. When they, when they lost to the Denver Nuggets, 
They had a defensive rating, I think, of 122. They, they just couldn't stop Denver, and, and that was a result of what they did in the Kevin Durant trade in moving off Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson and just really gutting their depth on that, that wing and that forward position. And, and so, to me, offense is not going to be a worry for them next year. They're going to be one of the top offensive teams in the league. But if you're truly talking about them as a championship contender, they're going to need to be at least an average defensive team and have the health. And I think that that's going to be a tall task because, you know, Kevin Durant is still a good defender, but getting older. Bradley Beal, I think, has always been an average defender and his impact has come in his ability to create his own shot. And, I just don't know defensively how they're better um, than they were last year. And when you're talking about going up against number one, Denver, and then Sacramento, who's also a potent offensive team, I I just don't know if they've really done anything to improve their championship uh, chances. Interesting. So for that reason, do you you expect or not expect like a ripple effect? Like I'm thinking about Denver and they're like, yeah, that's cute. You got Bradley Beal. That's great. Uh, But do you think there's any, a Western conference contender that'll see that move and be like, okay, we got to do something here. We got to get better. Or is that sort of unrelated? Because the standard still um, unquestionably is the Denver Nuggets and getting on the level that they are at. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And, And I don't really think it does have a ripple effect. You look at the teams that are that are anxious and wanting to make moves. It's the Lakers, it's the Clippers, um, and and really the other two teams, Memphis um, and OKC, is another team that I think that that you can expect to make a big jump from this year. Um, they have their plan and they're sticking to it, and I don't really see a lot of moves in the case of Memphis, even with. The John Morant suspension, they have some free agency business to do around Desmond Bain and around um, and around Dylan Brooks. But I don't think what happened to Phoenix is really altering their plans. So the Toronto Raptors have a lot of offseason decisions, and one of them is what's going to happen next with Fred Van Vliet. He's still favored um, in the, I mean, in the odds market at least to end up with Toronto after um, he's been uh, deciding on his future. But I wonder if you think there's a better fit for him for Fred Van Vliet himself. Mm, I like the Lakers as a fit for him uh, um, uh, because, you know, to, to me, it, it, he's, a, he's a tough, fantastic, competitive guard, but, but he's a small guard. And with, with a team like the Lakers, you know, they, they have the size and the defensive presence, and what they need is what he brings is, is individual scoring and uh, playmaking and just that tough competitive mentality. I, I think that the Lakers' number one – uh, would would be a terrific fit uh, for him, um, you know. Toronto, I, I just can't see them. I just can't see them letting him walk. I mean, I know w- when you don't have someone coming in to take his place, you know, it's it's not the end of the world, and there's always things that you can do to to shore up your roster. But um, I look at their roster, and and if they lose him, I just don't know where they go for that lead ball handler role. Oh, yeah, it would be a big, big issue. But also, like, they, they don't have complete control. In fact, they they, they lost control of Fred Van Vliet, yeah. the asset, uh, just recently with him declining uh, the, the, the player option. And I, I just keep asking myself, like, why would Fred want to run it back with the Raptors? Like, do you, when you think about Fred, do you know what he covets? Because, yeah, the Raptors can give him the most money. Uh, they can give him the biggest role. But if Fred wants to win a championship or another championship in his NBA career, 
I just don't see the justification of re-upping with the Raptors. The only real justification is, hey, this is where I can get the most money. And that's been a thing that's meant a lot to Fred, betting on himself and proving himself and and being a guy who, you know, was only promised this and got himself this. Like, that, that's a thing that means a lot to him. But if he wants to win a championship, like, I just cannot see him turning down the ample opportunities he's going to have league-wide here to join a contender. And I don't know. That's a good point. I, I don't know if he, you know, I don't know if he's a max player somewhere else. And so it might not be, so Toronto can give him more years, right? But, you know, from a a money standpoint, starting in year one, um, it's not going to be that big of a difference for him. Um, And especially if it's a situation, you know, in a market like L.A. where, um, if they're able to do other things and, and, and put a roster together that can win a championship, you know, I, I don't think he'd probably walking away from too much money. You know, another situation for him that I think from a team building standpoint, and you're, you're way farther away from a championship, but um, Houston, and, and I don't know why we haven't heard any noise about Fred Van Vliet to Houston though, because to me, he seems like he'd be a perfect fit next to Jalen Green and allow them to move on from Kevin Porter Jr. and and, and really get some organization and some veteran leadership with that young group that they have. I, I know the timeline doesn't necessarily fit, um, but if I'm in the Houston front office and I'm looking for a good player that can help me take a step forward and it kind of improve the culture of that team and that locker room and get him in a winning direction. I, I think he's a great fit for that. Might've been an easier sell if they secured one of those top three picks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've been in the front office and, and we, we saw something uh, kind of circulating online yesterday, rumors that um, former execs are saying that the Raptors are frustrating to deal with um, or they're kind of exasperated trying to get blood out of a stone when trying to negotiate or, or make deals with. I just wonder in general, like, what, is that meaning that they, they're just valuing their players really hard and steadfast on what they want? Um, I don't think it, you know, Masai is a, is a, you know, a mean person, but I wonder what just being in a front office, if another front office is frustrating to deal with, like how does, how does that affect, you know, future plans that you might have with that organization? I, I think it makes them good. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, I think it makes them, um, it puts them in a position where, Another team, if, if frustration is what is, is kind of seeping into a negotiation, I would bet on the other team being the one making a mistake. And I, I think it's probably frustrating for fans. Because <laughs> fans want mm-hmm. clear direction. They want something to happen, and, and they don't want something to play out slowly over time. Um, and look, if you're on the other end of the phone in any negotiation, the other side is is slow and deliberate and won't give any ground. It, it is frustrating, but I think that makes them, you know, a good front office. And I think that's what, what's led to a lot of success. This, I think this is the first time that they're dealing with this kind of, you know, really inflection point where, you know, they have all of these good players that a lot of other organizations covenant up to this point, you know, they haven't had the results with the team. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know. I can't. I can't predict what they what they're going to do. <laughs> no, no, no one can. Uh, and I think you, you nailed it there because I think for the first time ever, fans are kind of dealing with that inflection point, and they're and they're kind of thinking them to themselves, 
Is Messiah the guy? Like, the trust in Messiah has always mm. been the thing, right? And until this year, that trust has been, like, all-encompassing. Everyone on board, everyone believes in this individual to run a basketball team. But the last year of indecisiveness and kind of like, hey, where's the direction? What are you planning on doing? You say you want to win, but you're not doing things that's going to put yourself in a position to win. It's put fans in a bit of a weird scenario where some are distrusting in Masai just a little bit. I, and I wonder, like... You know, that's that's our fan base uh, and that's the media. But when you you're talking to basketball people, like, is it still this like unbelievable respect level for Masai where it's like, that's the right person. He's a smart basketball mind. He's doing the right things for his franchise. Or are there are little cracks in the foundation when, you know, talking to basketball people as well, because I think that is starting ever so slightly here among the fan base in Toronto. I, when you when you talk within the industry, the people that deal with them, I don't think anything has, has changed. Um, you know, he, he won a championship there. Like his track record goes back to the early foundations of what Denver has built. Um, and so I think it takes a lot <laughs> to, to diminish, you know, that the kind of track record that he's built up over time. And, you know, we'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll see how Scotty Barnes ends up, you know, turning out as a player. I think, I think early on, because he had such a fantastic rookie year, maybe the expectations for him were a little bit out of bounds with where he was as a player. And, and he came back to earth a little bit last year. And I think the reaction swayed a little bit to the extreme on the other side. Um, but, you know, I, I think that how he handles what they're going to do this summer and, you know, I, I think if he can provide clear direction and if it ends up being some sort of a, of a, you know, rebuild or, you know, building through the middle, um, I think fans will accept that, but if it's kind of a piece together type thing and there's no logic and no explanation, I think what you're talking about certainly could, could start to happen. Yeah. You nailed it. Clear direction is really the only thing that Raptors fans want right now, because yeah, there's still, he still has that equity here in this market. He's still beloved. He, we still, you know, think that he can do a good job, but it's just like, you know, we, we don't know what the plan is. And I think we're going to move closer to finding that out on draft night and beyond. Uh, Pat, this was a lot of fun. We appreciate you coming on this morning and hopefully we can do it again soon. Excellent. Thanks for being with you guys. Good luck. Good luck on Thursday. Thank you. <laughs> Thank we, you we, we, we might need it. Uh, that's Pat Garrity, former NBA forward and front office executive and currently working as an analyst for stadium. And our insider brought to you by Don Ooh. Valley North Lowe. Yeah, you blew it. Our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I'm always here to be a good teammate. Thank you, Eilish. Yeah, it's written in red. That's why you need me in Nashville, or I would have needed you in Nashville. Either way. Either way. Um, all right, Blue Jays back in action tonight. Kikuchi on the mound, and then a quick turnaround for a 12-10 daytime game on Wednesday. And an off day on Thursday. So an extended amount of time after this road trip to the Marlins. And hopefully they can round this one out with a couple wins before the Oakland Athletics are in town. Who were trending towards being one of the worst baseball teams to ever field. But now have uh, turned things around a little bit. They went on like a six-game win streak. I don't know what's going on there. The reverse boycott's somehow working to make their team a bit better. And then, as the text line has pointed out... The Giants are in town following that, and they apparently, uh, great, are on a eight-game win streak. Mm. Of course they are, because that's the way that things line up for the Blue Jays, and then they play the Boston Red Sox, who are now half a game behind them. 
So it doesn't get easier for the Blue Jays, but they can start with some positive momentum. We talked to our buddy Caleb Joseph about that. Just need one one thing to start. Just start the ball rolling. The trickle effect can happen. Maybe that's Kikuchi on the mound today. What's the one thing? Is it a, is it a strong Kikuchi performance? Is it a Vladdy home run today? Like okay, what well, would, what I mean, would I'll make take both? <laughs> what would be like the most encouraging single thing that could happen in today's game that would at least portend good things moving forward here? Don't lose eleven nothing. Don't blow a six one moment. six zero win a uh, lead. Yeah, one moment. I mean, yeah, I I can't imagine a Vladdy home run. Hard to beat that being not the top thing. And I, it, it's not all on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to turn this team around, but the vibes, the energy, the atmosphere around that team is low. He's a guy that thrives in the moment with energy. He's obviously, this is weighing heavily on him. And I think the lineup needs a boost of some sort in that offensive power, and Vladdy can do that. Sure, that would who, who wouldn't be circling that as, as one of the things they need tonight? But Kikuchi as well, if he can get, if Kikuchi can get five innings tonight, because we just talked about it. They basically had three back-to-back-to-back bullpen days in a row because of Barrios and Bassett's start and then also a bullpen day. They don't have a lot of arms behind Kikuchi tonight. So he needs to get five-something, maybe five-plus innings. That would be positive for me because then he sets them up for a, a good day with Gosman tomorrow on the mound. It may have to be you, say Kikuchi, because there's a young stud on the bump today mm. for the Miami Marlins and Yuri Perez. And we're going to talk about Perez and the Blue Jays, memories with the Blue Jays, and current Miami Marlins storylines with our next guest, Rod Barajas, former Blue Jay, and current Miami Marlins field coordinator after the break. We'll do that next. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. On Justin Josh's birthday. And Happy birthday again to Josh. Josh I'm sure he Josh, loves all Josh, this attention. Josh, 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 Yay, birthdays. Do you love the attention, Josh? Give us a thumbs up. Kind of, eh, ooh, the middle thumbs up. We're at that point. Like, I, you might be the only person working on the show who actually wants to acknowledge their birthday. Josh might be number two because he's not, like, angry about it. I'll well, be angry about it if you treat me like that. You can Josh. blame his mom who sent me a lovely email. after she. Did you read it all on the show? Uh, yeah, I read the whole Did thing. You? Where were you? I, I just didn't know if you went through the whole thing. Yeah, it was really sweet. there might be sweet. some nice yeah. anecdotes or something. It was really sweet. So, That's shout cool. out so last, Josh's mom. Last one, because we're surely going to be at a time crunch doing the Wake and Rake at the end of the mm-hmm. show. So, we'll leave it there. Let's bring in our next guest. Rod Barajas, former MLB catcher and current Miami Marlins field coordinator. And we've been talking, Rod, a lot about Miami having a moment, right? <laughs> Florida Panthers, Miami Heat, Miami Marlins, third best record in the National League. Are the Marlins feeling some of that energy that's taking over Miami where it's just like, yeah, all we do is win down here? Well, you could also add Lionel Messi coming over to Miami. Oh, yeah. Too, yeah. Miami yeah, that, F1 a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's uh, it's been it's been good to be a, a Miami uh, resident. You know, we've, you know, they've a lot of winning with the basketball, the excitement going on there, and you know the Panthers. And I feel like now that uh, those runs are over, um, last night for us, uh, you know, the crowd was a lot bigger than what it normally is. Uh, so the excitement of uh, you know Miami sports right now are definitely at a high. I feel like even in the absence of. <laughs> wins in Miami life is uh, pretty good. It's pretty good up here, and you've experienced <laughs> that, though, yourself in Toronto as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays for parts of two seasons. Do you have a fondest memory of your time in Toronto as a member of the Blue Jays? 
Yeah, I just love the whole city, man. Uh, Toronto was for me was uh, an incredible place to play, uh, uh, incredible place to live for 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 two seasons. Uh, you know, uh, players would come up to me and ask all the time about Toronto, and people thought it was a hassle. Customs, is it worth playing in Toronto? And I always said I absolutely love this place. Uh, you know, if you win, the fans are going to show up. The stadium's going to be electric. The people are going to recognize you on the street. Uh, you know, so just for me, the whole the whole package that Toronto brought as a sports city was was as good as anywhere I've ever played. I played in New York. I played in L.A. Um, you know, everything about Toronto for me, I absolutely loved. And I encourage players go down there. You're going to fall in love with the city. You're going to fall in love with the people, and um, you know, you're going to have memories galore. You know, from your time in Toronto. How about Gibby? Because he's a guy that is beloved up here. He's now a media man. Like, you got to have some Gibby stories because he's just – everyone that we talked to that had a Blue Jays uniform on has a good Gibby story. Well, it's just Gibby was was just a man, you know. Uh, you know, he didn't put up with anybody's BS. He, <laughs> he was about, you know, the team. Team comes first. Uh, nobody's above the team. I've seen him go in there and, and rip some, you know, some – some really, really good players because they weren't doing things the right way. So you just know you had to uphold your end of the bargain. Uh, and it didn't matter who you were. You know, people have, you know, talked about the fights that he's had in the, the clubhouse with players, just the, 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 the fire that this man had inside of him. Uh, you know, I only got half a year with him uh, before we, we, we uh, they let him go and they brought in Cito Gaston, who was, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, one of the ultimate leaders. Um, in the sport of baseball, but our time with Gibby, my time with Gibby was <laughs> was awesome. Man. This this you know this man just wasn't putting up with anybody's BS. This was about, all about the team, team first. And um, yeah, if you were out of line, you were going to hear from Gibby. It, it was it was probably still that way when Gibby came back, but I feel like maybe the fire was not quite burning as as much as it was when he came back the second round. Like a little bit of a mellow Gibby, but still. Uh, a, a franchise legend regardless. Let's go to another franchise legend, legend and Jose Bautista. He showed up with the Blue Jays while you were there. Uh, I don't think anyone probably expected he was going to be one of the greatest Blue Jays of all time when he first set foot in Toronto. But what was your first impression of a younger Jose Bautista? Well, he was uh, he was an awesome dude, first of all. He, he's, he he's always had a big smile on his face. Uh, you know, he 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 made a lot of dumb mistakes. You know, he just made he gave us a lot of reasons to kind of give him give him a give him a hard time, and he always laughed about it. You know, we were always on his case, and he was doing this wrong or doing that wrong, but the dude always had a smile on his face, and and you know that right there. Even if when he was struggling, when he first came to us, he wasn't he wasn't doing much at all, but he had a great attitude, and he was always there, and he was always gonna you know work his butt off and compete to try to do well, and. You know, and then and then once it clicked, and and the, the the tools were always there. He had an absolute cannon. He hit the ball a mile in batting practice. Uh, there were so many things that he did well, but he just didn't put it together all together on the field. Um, but then when it all clicked, you know, uh, when 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 everything kind of synced up and and uh, yeah, bats got better and the, the consistency was hitting the ball a long ways. Uh, you know, it was there. This guy had all the talent in the world and. And like I said, he was such a good dude that even though when, once he started succeeding and started getting those putting those numbers up, he was still so much fun to be around. He was enjoying the clubhouse. Uh, you know, he was one of my uh, one of my favorite teammates. You know, because he came to the field with with that energy, that passion, and that that love for the game. And 
And he also, he could laugh. He could laugh. He could laugh at himself. He laughed at his teammates. So, you know, it was a good recipe for, for, uh, for a teammate that he had in him. What was he doing early on that had everyone on his case? He was just always saying dumb things, and, you know, uh, you know, in the locker room and just always in the wrong place at the wrong time, saying the wrong thing. And, <laughs> and we just gave him a hard time and we would, we would, we would have fun with them. And but like I said, he would always laugh. He never took anything personal. He, uh, he was there. He, he always had a smile on his face and, you know, we knew that we could mess with Jose and he would take it. He would take it the right way. Okay, you played in a special time where the Blue Jays wore the iconic, whether you like them or not, black jerseys with the angry bird on them. I got to ask if you like those or not because people are now, you know, advocating to bring them back. But they're now throwbacks. But they're throwbacks. They're vintage. Did you like the black <laughs> Blue Jays jerseys? Yeah, I'm tired of hearing throwbacks jerseys that I wore. Vintage, you know, I, I know I'm old, but <laughs> I don't feel that old. Um, you know, I love those jerseys. Those are great. You know, I, there's plenty of games that I played or caught in that, you know, where, where I look at videos from back in the days we're wearing those jerseys. So I have a ton of memories, and, and I think they look clean, man. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, for me, that was probably my favorite jersey. You know, everybody likes wearing the black jerseys and the alternate jerseys instead of, you know, the all whites or the all grays. And for us, we wore them all the time. And, you know, uh, it was the pitchers got the, a lot of times back then, the pitchers got to pick what jerseys we were wearing. And more often than not, you'd see the guys wanting to wear that black jersey. So for me, bring them back. I think uh, if, if the crowds want them, if the people want them, give the people what they want, man. Get them out there and, you know, uh, who knows what could happen. Uh, you caught maybe the greatest Blue Jays pitcher ever in Roy Halladay. You also caught maybe my favorite Blue Jays pitcher ever in A.J. Burnett. Uh, that was quite the one-two punch the Blue Jays had there for a little while. Uh, when you think about those two and you think about catching those two, what comes to mind? Uh, well, you know, with, with Roy Halladay, um, you know, I've, I've caught a lot of good pitchers, a lot of guys that, you know, have uh, done a lot of good things in this game, but he was by far my favorite uh, you know, just everything that he was about. He was about preparation. He was about working hard. He was about game planning. He was about everything these kids are, people are talking about nowadays. He was doing back in the day. He was more prepared than anybody, even the now in the game, probably in my opinion. So the preparation that he had and the passion that he had, when when you went out there and played behind him every every fifth day, you did not want to disappoint. You did not want to let the dude down because. He, uh, he was so driven and, and passionate about what he did on the mound. So, for me, he was my favorite my favorite pitcher I ever had. Uh, you know, I didn't want to let this dude down. I would look at the scout report six times before the game started to make sure I knew exactly, exactly what he wanted to do. And I didn't want him to have to shake. I didn't want him to have to, to uh, do uh, exert any more effort than he already had to exert during the game. So, I wanted him to go out there, look at the fingers, and, and just go out there and compete and do his thing. And, you know, uh, I, I still have a ton of memories. You know, I, I just working with him and being a, being a part of his career for me is might be my highlight. You know, that might be my favorite part of the game of baseball that I've ever had, just, you know, being a battery mate of Roy Halladay. And, and my boy, A.J. Burnett, was a little different. You know, uh, he was a little more crazy, a little more wild. But, you know, I got to catch A.J. also in Pittsburgh a few years later. Um, and we just had this relationship where we clicked, you know, I, he trusted me also behind the plate and we did our thing. We went out there and, you know, uh, he was so talented, the fastball, the curveball, what he was able to do with the baseball that at any, any moment we could, uh, he was, he was going to throw a no hitter. So 
two different pitchers, two different mentalities, but they were both the, uh, two of my top favorite uh, pitchers I ever had to work with. Speaking with former MLB catcher Rod Barajas, uh, current Miami Marlins field coordinator. So I guess it's time to talk about Miami, even though they beat the, the Blue Jays 11 nothing last night. So we're uh, looking at our wounds up here. So they've had just, uh, as, we, as we mentioned, Miami's having a moment. But let's talk about the Marlins specifically, a third best record in the NL. What's been the jump here in the stretch, you know, gaining some momentum? And, and that, that happens quick and it happens powerfully with the Miami Marlins. So what's been the biggest turn here to have the success rate that they're doing? Well, for us, it's been it's been those close games. Uh, you know, we've done a really good job of when we have the lead, keeping the lead. You know, uh, early in the season, we had a really really tough schedule, and you know, we weren't. Uh, you know, we were sitting there fighting with these guys, with all these teams, the the Braves and you know the the Padres, all these teams that were coming through. We're out there fighting with them, and you know, we weren't blowing anybody out. But when the game was close, we'd figure out a way to scratch a run here, scratch a run there, and and uh, the bullpen would come in, and they'd do a great job. And we were winning a lot of those close games today. And even to this point, we're still winning those close games. But, you know, now that we're rolling a little bit more offensively, we're, we've got a, a lot better than where we started out. The pitching's still good. Um, we're, we're, we're believing in what we have. We, we have a, a, a good pitching staff. We have an offense that is that has surprised a lot of people, not us, but – you know, we we knew the process and we understood that it was going to take a little bit of time. We fought early on in the season, and now you're starting to see what we're capable of doing offensively. So, you know, once you get the players believing they can do it, and we're out there doing it on the field, uh, you know, anything can happen. So, just a matter of us, you know, keeping staying grounded and continue to go out there and, and play the way we've been playing. Tough task for the Blue Jays today with Yuri Perez on the bump. Can you give us a little scouting report on this young hurler? <laughs> Well, he's just a, a young competitor, man. He's got a big fastball. He's going to be up in the upper 90s. He's got a changeup. You know, secondary stuff nowadays, you know, guys are throwing way more breaking balls or changeups than, than we did back in the day. We were more fastballs. And nowadays these kids are able to throw curveballs and sliders behind the count. So, you know, for being his age, 20 years old, I think he is, uh, being able to pitch the way he does, pitch backwards, uh, land his secondary pitches, have a fastball that explodes in the upper 90s. You know, if we can keep him in the strike zone, which he has been this year, he should have success. Uh, you know, his stuff plays in the strike zone. So we encourage that. He's been out there doing it. He's not afraid. Um, he's a, I think he's like six foot ten. He's a monster. Six foot nine. He's huge, long dude, long limbs. And, you know, he competes. And, you know, that's, that's what you want with young guys, even if they do, even if those guys with the big arms. They can throw strikes and work in the strike zone. They should have success, and that's kind of what we're seeing with them right now. Well, you've got pitching, and you certainly have hitting in Arias, who yesterday we saw five for five. He's now batting 400, which is just outstanding to say. Um, What's it been like just seeing him up close and personal and what he's been able to do this season? Obviously acquired from Minnesota this offseason to a new face. He's certainly won the hearts over uh, Miami, I'm I'm sure of it. And watching last night was just uh, another experience of what it would be like to have um, a pretty powerful hitter on your team and how how nice that must be. Well, the, he is an absolute freak. Me and uh, Skip Schumacher, we stand up to each other most of the time, and you'll get his two, three hits a game, and we'll look at it, look at each other, and we're like, "This is ridiculous." <laughs> I mean, how, how can you get this many hits? You know, it's, you know, he is an absolute freak of the game. What he's able to do with the bat, um, manipulate the barrel. He'll look at the defense. He'll be like, "Okay, he's playing me here. He's playing me there. I'm going to hit the ball right in between those two guys." 
So his ability to move the baseball around is, you know, I, I know people have made these comparisons and, you know, it's tough to compare anybody to Tony Gwynn, but you look at Tony Gwynn and you compare his numbers to Arias' numbers and you're like, holy crap, you know, this, this is the, uh, this is Tony Gwynn, you know, this is our generation, Tony Gwynn at, to this point, but he is special, man. Uh, you know, uh, we were just in Seattle and I was talking to one of the reporters down there who had talked to Ichiro and Ichiro loves this dude. He's like, he's going to bring the hitter back to baseball instead of all the, the, the swing and miss home runs, people trying to drive the balls. What he's doing in the game is going to, he's going to change the game. It's going to bring it back to, you know, uh, you know, people wanting guys that get base hits, that get singles. Singles are okay. If you take a lousy single and get yourself on first base, you're helping the team out. So what he's doing is not just incredible for himself, but I think it's going to make the game even better. I think the, the base hit is going to come back in baseball. Well, tell him to take it easy on us today and tomorrow, okay? You can get back to full-fledged in the next series. The Blue Jays need a win, but uh, we really appreciate you taking the time today. It was great to catch up about your time with the Blue Jays and hear how much it meant to you because it certainly did for us, and fans are happy to hear you on our airwaves. So appreciate you joining us, and best of luck with the rest of the season. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, anytime, and, you know, uh, I really enjoyed my time. Thanks a lot, guys. Perfect. Thanks so much. Rod Barras, former MLB catcher and current Miami Marlins field coordinator. So he's uh, he's got a hand in what we're seeing out there with the offense, the defense, the Marlins just being red hot. And maybe he liked us so much he'll tell them to relax a little bit today. No 11, nothing wins. Our text line points out, uh, and it was a good point, Bo Bichette's only two, which is almost impossible to figure. That Bo Bichette, and he's been awesome. But how could anyone get this kid uh, arise out? And Boba Shett's only two hits behind him this hit year. Hundred, his hundredth hit last night. So I don't feel like like it. Honestly, felt last going. night like it, it, getting him out was a a complete impossibility. <laughs> and it, Mount it, Everest. I hope you say Kukuchi uh, doesn't make it seem like that today. Okay, well let's see what uh, we can put together in the wake and rake. Wake up. Now it's time for Wake and Rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money. With Ailish and Justin. Okay, Arias sold me yesterday, and Rod Barajas just sold me on Yuri Perez. Uh, this may be a blasphemous pick, but you know what? Why not profit off the misery of the Toronto Blue Jays? <laughs> uh, the Miami Marlins are minus 110 just to win with Yuri Perez on the bump. A six foot nine fireballer versus the Toronto Blue Jays fifth starter, Yusei Kikuchi, with a damaged bullpen and a lot of people in their feelings in a lineup that's struggling right now. Uh, I think Miami's going to win this game. I'll take the minus 110. Okay, I'm going to straight money line pick as well. The Chicago Cubs behind one of the best pitchers in baseball. Ever heard of him? Marcus Stroman. Over the Pittsburgh Pirates, who beat them eight nothing last night. Stroman is leading the league in a lot of stats, and he's going. Quality to... starts is like a big one, right? Yeah, like he's just big one. Yeah, out there all the time. He's killing it. So Cubs on the money line minus one twenty. I'll lock that one in. And we got a couple submissions to go through quickly here. Uh, morning, guys. How about Merrill Kelly and the D backs last night? Tonight, I love the Jays Marlins to have a no run first inning. Ooh, I, I, I gotta don't be agree honest, with Cody, that one. I, I do not. Cody, like that. we love you, buddy, but uh, we could already put Arias on first base. Yes, uh, and then we got Yusei Kikuchi having to get. <laughs> I mean, maybe the Jays no run, uh, but yeah. yeah. So he says Marlins are one of the worst no run first inning teams in the league, and the Marlins have a sub two ERA pitcher on the mound. It's okay. currently at a solid number. Cody in St. Catharines. Okay, I'll be happy if we can just get through an inning where Arias is scheduled to be at the bat. 
Eric from Burlington says, I'm taking the Braves tonight with Spencer Strider on the mound. Both teams coming in with a six-game win streak, and the Braves will be ones to keep it rolling. Spencer Strider's been struggling a lot here recently. I think 13 earned over his last two starts. Uh, good morning, Corey from Port Hope here. Wake and Rake pick will be the Orioles plus one and a half versus the Rays minus 120. I believe Glass now versus Bradish is the is the uh, matchup there. Uh, he thinks the game's going to be close within a run. Okay, and last one here. Uh, morning, Justin Nailish going Cincinnati Reds. Jonathan India over one and a half total bases. Winning streak going to 10. That's Courier, Chris, currently in Kitchener. He's still moving oh, around. How was Montreal? Didn't Courier Chris go to Montreal? He survived or the what? Province. He's moving How's around the going? country. He puts um, miles on that vehicle, eh? He, he does. <laughs> He puts. He knows the, the best gas station prices. Puts the courier in courier, Chris. Um, okay, so what, what are you what are you thinking? Um, I that? liked the Braves tonight, and then you told me how bad Spencer Strider's been, but uh, I still kind of like just a full on money line trio today for picks. Okay, so we're going Braves, Marlins, Marlins Cubs. Cubs, the the big three. Braves, Marlins, Cubs. Okay. Parlay that up. It's plus four seventy one. Like that's good. We got Kikuchi on the mound. Uh, we got to apologize to our guy Ryan who bet the Wake and Rake live in Las Vegas yesterday. He was well. He didn't get his pick right. Well, I know, but he was in Vegas, and he sent me a photo of the ripped up, shredded mm. bet slip with a beer. Now so that, he's still enjoying that. Himself. Really is the best. Like you know, we can obviously gamble legally in Ontario mm-hmm. these days, and we do that predominantly online or exclusively online. But having a ticket in your hand, there's something about it. It just, just gets the juices flowing. That's why, like, when you go to horse racing, mm-hmm. it's fun to have, like, the the little, I, I don't ever know what I'm doing, trifecta, whatever. You just have to worry about losing it. Yeah. And like that person did with the Blue Jays 50-50, they found it. That, again, I cannot believe isn't, like, online. Mil. Like, there's not a you database can. that pulls that. But if you buy it physically, you got to be watching your intake. You don't lose your ticket. All right, Blue Jays. Yuri Perez versus Yusei Kikuchi. 6.30 p.m. start. That's on Sportsnet. Sportsnet now. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590. And the Sportsnet app. Happy, happy birthday to Josh. We'll be back tomorrow morning.